Hello, and welcome to the First Issue Club Podcast, your weekly comic book reading club that covers mostly first issues. Why first issues, do you ask? It's the most accessible, the most exciting new starting point for you to onboard into a fun and exciting new story to support creators, support artists, and selfishly, you're going to get a little something out of it too, right? Maybe you like, uh, you know, thrillers. Maybe you like erotic thrillers. And we, hey, we've got that in comics too. <laughs> they, they turned erotic real quick. This will turn you on a little bit, man. We're all just trying to find the thing that turns us on. And comics has that for you. It's your bag, baby. What, whatever your bag be. And, and this is the first issue club motto that we're always coming back to. Whatever your bag be. Be it. Comics be it. <laughs> okay. Okay, babe. <laughs> whatever your bag be, bag it. Bag it and board it. Now that's, oh. a, joke. that's a joke for the, the, the real ones. time comic fans. We put our treasures in bags and boards. Yeah, so they're nice and protected. All our precious treasures. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to cover a handful of things on today's episode. Like I mentioned, first issues, but we're going to do a little bit of news before that. It, not the heaviest week for first issue comic books. We had, we're going to talk about some of these. I think we're going to cover Dead X-Men, mm -hmm. Jill and the Killers. Yep. Kid Cuddy's new comic, Moon Man, which Moon is Man. kind of like a trend in comics now is, is mm -hmm. rappers kind of having comic books. I think Kyle Higgins wrote this, right? So Kid Cuddy and Kyle Higgins worked together. They worked together. That's the move is someone yeah. who's been writing comics for a long time. Yeah. I think more or less takes someone's idea and then they put the writing credit on the uh, rapper. When I think this series, Moon Man, is loosely based on the concept in most of Kid Cudi's albums that he toys around with. Okay. So, kind of like what uh, Coheed and Cambria did. Yes. So for the Kid Cudi's version of that is, what if a guy hummed a lot and, and was kind of <laughs> bummed? And like wanted to know if it was day or night. Mm-hmm. His signature hum, I love it. I'm a huge Kid Cudi fan, to be yeah. honest. He was I, great on Comedy Bang Bang. Oh, he was so good on Comedy Bang Bang. Another nerd thing. Improv comedy podcast. Does it get nerdier? Does it get <laughs> any nerdier? I don't think so. I don't think it does. Unless uh, they're playing D&D. &D. Any, any other books you read that, that I you're going to today? Um, so I read Avengers Twilight number two. Okay. Just to play a little catch up and to make sure it was going in a in a fun direction. I can yeah, report now. It is. It is. Okay. The first book was very buzzworthy. I know it's kind of popped yes. up on some of the like top ten hot books list and people are trying to like it's really? sold out, I think, and people are trying to scrounge for copies of it. It's 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 got a little bit of traction on eBay, so I hear. That's weird. I think there's I think there's a first appearance or something in the um, in Avengers Twilight 1? Does that not sound right? I mean... <laughs> is it like I, an alternate universe thing? You no, know, it's, it's an alternate... Uh, it's not even an alternate. It's just like a future that may happen. I don't know. It's It shouldn't be spec-worthy. That's for sure. Sometimes 
comic book collectors get a little bogged down in this thing, which comics all the time go into alternate universes and parallel futures and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, this is the first time we're seeing Captain America in future universe A, diversion six. And right. You, you, you and people are like, first, oh, it's worth $25. Yeah, you put first appearance on it on eBay and then people start spending a lot of money for it. Don't let those vultures don't, get you. Don't that's, you let them. That's why you come to First Issue Club so you don't uh, fall victim to the spec seller's evil lies. <laughs> um, uh, our, our buddy uh, Chris Hacker over at the, Oblivion, at the Oblivion Bar Pod described it as Marvel's version of Kingdom Come, which is... Alex Ross, uh, DC's uh, big event that their Elseworld thing, and I, th- I felt like that, like that was a pretty apt descri- description of what it is. All right, cool. And then uh, I also read uh, the DC Pride book for uh, Black History Month that came out today. Right on, yeah. Uh, DC's first issues this week were almost all annuals or mm-hmm. like collected edition anthology sort of things yeah uh the wonder woman's daughter thing trinity Mm -hmm. came out this past week and it just collected previously published stories those i think the dc pride book is similar in that it's like Mm -hmm. several shorter stories is that right yeah i i I think it's actually dc power dc power okay it's and, not yeah, a, it's, it's not a pride thing it's uh no it's, it's for black month. history month okay. yeah it's it's a it's an anthology of all the black uh creators doing stories in the dc universe and uh it was so good it was like oh rad phenomenal now was it the milestone imprint or this is just like larger dc Mm-mm. universe okay yeah yeah extended dc not just um specific to milestone i think the only first issues that I saw that we're not going to cover, Power Rangers Unlimited, too many Power Rangers books. Too many Power time. Rangers. Yeah, Back in my right. day, there was only five. Yep. Now all these in-between hue Power Rangers. There's Magenta Power Rangers. Get no. out of here. Uh-uh. Lapis Power Rangers. No. Come Mauve. on. Mauve Power Mauve Rangers? Power Rangers. No. Get out of town. I think I saw a polka dot one once. What? That doesn't even count. What'll they think of next? I don't know. Uh, Lilo and Stitch finally getting a comic book. <laughs> I did not know where that was going. Issue one out uh, this this past week. So if you're a Disney collector, get your grubby little fingies on that. If you're a Lilo and Stitch head, Big get on out head. there. All right. Let's do some news, quick hits, and reactions. That's the per- news buzzer. Perfect. Oh, uh, yeah. The famous news buzzer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's made famous from the news. Right. Exactly the, right. Yeah. yeah. Before they met Huey Lewis. If you're not in a city that has the news, you may not be Mm -hmm. familiar with the famous news buzzer, but it goes do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yep. Sometimes it's in the morning and evening, or sometimes you just have evening, but it's it's pretty uh, informative. Yeah. Well, I'll be praying for a midday, Uh, but, (laughs) you know, we can only ask for so much from our dear sweet sweet Lord. (laughs) 
and our local news team. Read the news. Um, okay. Uh, okay, I, I did want to say, <laughs> this was just yeah, a like, funny Go thing. on. <laughs> this isn't necessarily news, but my first thing that I saw that I just like wanted to mention or discuss was mm-hmm. that, um, are you familiar with Marvel fandom? There's this I'm, website, a, I'm a fan of Marvel. Is there's, it? there's a handful of websites that serve as like wikis or like the go-to oh, wikis right. mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. all the like big publishers. Like there's a DC fandom, a Marvel fandom. And it's just an exhaustive list of every niche minor character and all the versions of them and their history, their yep. first appearances, their deaths, their births, their real names, their parents, yada, yada. Um, an incredible amount of information that only the nerdiest of nerds uh, manage and edit. One thing that I've noticed just this past week mm-hmm. is that someone has updated all of the X-Men, all, every mutant to deceased. Because <laughs> after the events of, of the Hellfire Gala, uh, uh-huh. which was this recent thing, sorry, I spilled my cup. Um, recent thing in, in Marvel Comics, if you're not following along, is the mutants on Earth were annihilated by a giant robot who is evil mm-hmm. named Nimrod. Named Nimrod. and the idea that we know this is a temporary thing right that the that marvel mutants aren't going to stay dead forever uh but still someone went through and updated every mutant that was killed as deceased killed by nimrod at the hellfire gala Hmm. it must have taken Days. Days, yes. Multiple days to go through and update this thing that's probably going to change in a month. That's how (laughs) dedicated the fine folks at Marvel Fandom are. So just kudos to the sticklers that are managing that site. I just thought that was really funny. I I would love to get your take on what's going to happen with the X-Men. Because you're right, because the eggs are gone. The the resurrection eggs are no more, right? Yes. There was a there was a mass slaughter at this year's Hellfire Gala. There was portals that went to nowhere, where multiple people were lost. Do you think there's going to be one big last resurrection to end out this Hickman era? And then there's gonna be like the there's gonna be no more resurrection stuff, or how do you think they're gonna handle it going forward if there's no last giant resurrection of mutants? I'll talk about that while covering Dead X Men oh. later in the episode. You tease, you I naughty have, tease. I have a take, and the X Men have a way forward, baby. I do think <laughs> that. Over the next um, couple months, as I clean up this day, this spilled beverage with a single post-it note at a time, which is not <laughs> oh my god, absorbent material. I just hey, we don't edit these bad boys anymore, right? We're just like straight to your dome with video, and <laughs> we could literally be on fire recording this, and we <laughs> would no, not break. <laughs> there is no getting up and getting a towel. So uh, excuse use your me. shirt. As I get into my uh, umpteenth post-it here. Uh, 
I, I think there's a chance that they're going to tease like maybe a few ways forward for this to happen. So maybe it's a little bit more of a surprise when it does happen and we save whoever we do save. Maybe it's not everybody. Maybe the creators of the next run, which have already kind of been announced that mm-hmm. a new creative team is going to be helming the X-Men and they want to kind of get back to basics. And because of that, they might say, let's maybe leave some of the more niche X-Men in the in the past just because there's so many characters to manage right now that um, it might just be bye-bye to some of them mm-hmm. for, for a while anyway. But um, yeah, I think there's a couple scenarios that they're setting up and one of them is going to be the way that we bring back almost everybody. So we'll, okay. we'll get into it later. Yes, we will. All right. Anything else on that? Topic number two. Um, Topic number two. Supergirl got cast. We have mm-hmm. a James Gunn, uh, what would you call it? DC Initiative Supergirl. I, I don't know that he's directing this movie or not. I don't think the movie has a director yet, which some people are saying is odd that they've already cast Millie Alcock who you might know as, forgive me if I'm butchering this this fictional character's name, but Rhaenyra Tardarian from okay. the House of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, listen, a name like that, that is so fictional and made up, you could pronounce it any way you want, my, okay. my friend. Sorry if I've offended any Middle Earthers out there. I think I think with that, though, with, with the... A superhero franchise, you want to start out on the right foot, you gotta lock down your star, even if you don't have a director. Yeah. Like you know what the character is gonna look like. You you're immediately casting that role as quick as you can nail down the actress or actor that you want. If you have a cast and a crew, though, mm-hmm. that aren't on the same page and your star wasn't selected by the without talking to the people running the show, maybe, mm-hmm. you kind of worry that the thing might be doomed and done in bad spirits from the start, right? Do I we know like there's, there's not a director? We don't know that, and I think people are maybe suspecting that James Gunn is going to direct this one just because we haven't heard about the director and they're already moving forward with so much stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, you're right. Casting Supergirl without a director set for her movie is very weird, says Matthew Vaughn. Yeah, I've read that. The director should be casting the movie. Wow. Okay. I've read that a couple places. Interesting. Well, and I also think that there's just um, obviously there's a rejection to the IP led movies and all these like massive franchises. And anthologies of connected universes, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, we, I I just read a Christopher Nolan interview where he was talking about like he's done both things, right? Like he just did a b- biopic on quantum on a guy who you know was working in quantum physics and it made like a billion dollars. Yeah, <laughs> that's not like a rejection of like these superhero IP led sort of uh, Hollywood stories, then, you know, what is, 
Um, but he's all he's also the guy who did the Dark Knight, which you could also maybe look at as the thing that was like, let's bring prestige superhero stuff to the movie theaters in full force. I feel like that was the the trilogy that really, really opened the floodgates on like, man, these are like these movies are going to make like half a billion to a billion to- dollars when they come out. Um, yeah. So he just had an interesting perspective on like. There's a balance between these things. Marvel's kind of doing this thing where like they're trying to find these more auteur directors and they're getting talented up and coming people to play these parts like your or just like buzzworthy people like Ayo Edebiri and mm-hmm. Steven Yoon, mm-hmm. right? Who are both people who were cast in Thunderbolts who both recently dropped out. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe that's a sign of another corner of Hollywood that's kind of rejecting the superhero stuff as like a career path or like a a big thing. You know, it's like, oh, I have a I have a conflict that I can't do this big Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I think there was a time where the Marvel Cinematic Universe movie would have been the sure thing yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah. everything else would have been canceled because of it um yeah. and and now we're seeing the other way around where these people like aren't so willing to commit to these bigger superhero movies because they're kind of starting to flounder or people are losing interest in them so i don't know it just it it does kind of seem like a big you know, Warner Brothers is in charge of this thing and they're casting the people they want and it's not necessarily like a a singular director's vision as like a standalone piece. I think that's the part of it that's making people a little worried, but we could be looking into this yeah. uh, way too far and way too far ahead um, just after the casting of, you know, a single person without knowing all the details, but... Hey, that's what we do, and that's part of the fun <laughs> is speculate when we're given like little morsels. That's what makes good content, baby. If <laughs> if we don't if we don't create the drama, then there is no drama. And that's then right. we would be bored. All right. Let's keep moving. Uh this is maybe uh I'll skip the ultimate Black Panther thing. We know he's okay. getting he's gonna have a wife. I'll say that. And we already know who the wife is. It's kind of been like someone put a ring on it going around. But yeah, I'm I'm sure it's a vibranium ring as well. Mm-hmm. I do have uh, a a replacement news hit for the black thing. Okay, Black Panther thing. Uh, Katie Kubert, granddaughter of Joe Kubert, and niece to Adam and Andy, is now the lead editor at DC for Batman. Really. Yes, that's. I found cool. that found that interesting because she has been in the industry for a while now. She used to actually be an editor at Marvel for some of the Avengers stuff and the A Force books, and she has already done some DC editing for like the Batgirls uh, stuff that's going Batgirl on right now. Batgirl series was great. Yeah, and so I was talking to some friends, and you know, it, it's. You don't typically look at who the editors are at these big two publishing houses, 
but we kind of forget that they really kind of are the captains of these big like cruise ships of Marvel and DC books. Architecting uh, the bigger pieces that are crossing over. Yes, like exactly. Because they have these big writing summits, Marvel and DC, once or twice a year that kind of lay out the framework for where these editors want these big stories to go. And so they'll be like, okay, Chip, we're doing this this year, so we'd like Batman to go here at this point in time. And Chip has to go, okay, I'll get there somehow. Yeah. And and it's funny because when a story's not good, people typically go, oh, man, the writer really fucked up. And I don't know. I would say maybe 60% of the time you might be right. But sometimes if you get like an editor that just doesn't know what they're doing or like has lost the thread for their their stories like for the year yeah. i mean there's your culprit right there if you can't wrangle all the cats it's not the cats faults that they got loose like you're supposed to be wrangling them so i i i like that she's going to be the new editor of the batman stuff because she has already been an editor for so many amazing books and events at both marvel and dc that it just kind of like proves that she's like that she's really good at her job and that DC might be ramping up for some bat stuff. If they're, if they hired on her, her to like, make sure it all goes well. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Hey, some say co- comic book Nepo baby. I say legacy of family talent. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think this is a Nepo baby situation. <laughs> Maybe a, a nepo niece. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but like, uh, I, people might say that just like, oh, because of the last name, like, oh, she just didn't have to work hard. She got her master's in business and art management, and like, fucking worked in the trenches and like, did her shit. Like, nepo baby, you think like a nepo baby is just like a lazy well, kind of like shoe in? Yeah, and to be, I'll, I'll say to be clear. I was definitely joking when I said that. Oh, yeah, totally. No, no, no. I wasn't saying you were saying that, but... To to call anyone in comics a Nepo baby, is just like, think about how much Andy Kubert was probably making money-wise at the height of his popularity. Right. <laughs> it was like... Tens was, of dollars. He was working in comics when there was, like, hardly any money in comics. So, it's... Yeah, if you can give... Uh, you know, if you can shepherd some of your family into that line of work and they're interested in it, it's like not an uh, a huge money making endeavor by any means, right? It's yeah, it's a passion. Yeah, it's a passion. So that's that was my replacement news hit for you. If we weren't going to do the Black Panther stuff, great replacement news hit. Whew. Glad I got in there. Glad I was yeah. brave enough to read, speak up. Read Ultimate Black Panther if you want to see who T'Challa is married to. Mm-hmm. Okay, one thing I wanted to mention that we didn't, um, we did talk about Ghost Machine last week, which is a new uh-huh. Jeff Johns imprint, mm-hmm. and Andy covered that like anthology style book that they did that introduced a bunch of characters, had a ton of first appearances, and all that good stuff. One thing I didn't know that I don't think we articulated at the show at the time is that these 
creators uh, that have come on to Ghost Machines mm-hmm. are exclusive creators, at least for the time being, which means you've got people like Jeff Johns, Jason Fabic, Gary Frank, Brian Hitch. I mean, really big names that aren't going to be writing things for Marvel or DC for at least the foreseeable future, which is pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, at least three years. With the timeline that Ghost Machine displayed in the anthology thing that they came out with last week, like those guys are going to be... Could be a few years. Busy. Yeah. Like they, sure. they're, they're invested in those stories that they want to tell. And uh, I mean, minimum three years, they're going to be working at that. So we'll see good on them. I think it's cool to see like more people doing stuff like a skybound or like distillery where you're just taking like all your uber talented friends and saying we're making all these you know we're we're telling all these amazing stories and we're not necessarily keeping the the part of it that's the big money making piece because Marvel owns the character or DC owns the character that we're telling these stories with. Mm-hmm. They've all cut their teeth at these big publishers and now they're they're doing it themselves and creating some yeah. new characters and hopefully hopefully this works out for everybody. I I I really dig the distilleries and and ghost machines that are out in the world. Um I did want to talk about hey Greg and I are Kansas City natives. Mm-hmm. This is a oh, big boy. week for us. This yep. past week, we got the Chiefs headed to the Super Bowl yet again. Mm-hmm. We back acknowledge back. that we are the enemies now. <laughs> yeah, we're in our villain era. I, this is this is very funny that it's it seems like this was the season that I felt the change the most. That just like the rest of America just started completely hating the Chiefs that were like very fun mm-hmm. for like the first couple trips to the Super Bowl, and now it's like, okay, I want to see, I wanted to see the, like, Lamar in the Super Bowl, and I wanted to see the Lions make it to the Super Bowl. Right. And 49ers Chiefs was just, like, the biggest, like, God, this just, this just happened four years ago. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, here, here's, here's what I tell those people. Every team, when they start the season, has the same goal, and it's the fucking Super Bowl, okay? Everyone's clawing their way to get to the fucking Super Bowl. It's not our fault that your team didn't get in. It's like it's like we just persevered and got there. Like sorry, but not sorry. I think you could say though the script. That, <laughs> hey, maybe there's something to it. I'm just saying there were three missed pass interference calls. Mhm. And a couple uh unsportsmanlike conduct sort of penalties that I think could have easily not been called that completely changed the game. So if I'm a Ravens, I, I see and I hear the argument for Ravens fans, given I'm a, I'm born and raised in Kansas city. I'm a chiefs fan through and through Mm -hmm. trying to be partial here. Yeah. (laughs) I can't hear it. I saw even I can admit was a little like man sure. didn't yeah. seem like given Lamar and the Ravens could have had a much better game. Mm-hmm. There were some pretty big missed calls and and arguable calls that would have made a huge difference in like what ended up being a, like a one score game. Okay, yeah, 
Well, okay. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Hopefully, hopefully you don't hold us being in in Kansas City ag- against us after <laughs> after the peace offering. I I just tried. To yeah, after the olive branch that Mike <laughs> D so strangely offered. He's hey, like, we were a city of losers for the longest time mm-hmm. before before the uh, before the Royals went to the World Series and the Chiefs started ramping yeah. up again. So, I I get the frustration of these like smaller market teams that are right. doesn't seem like things are going their way. After Which is kind of like, why I'm going to revel in it now. You know, because this is fan. this isn't going to last long for the Chiefs. All right, Travis Kelsey has to retire in a couple years. Patrick Mahomes will still be the football messiah in the next 10 years, so that's not going to change. But we will, ha- we will have some rebuilding years where we won't make it to the Super Bowl. So, Oh, poor us. We're going to have seasons where we don't make it to the Super Bowl. Okay, all this to say, we've got Travis Kelsey comic books coming out, and yep. we've got Taylor Swift comic books coming out. The Taylor Swift stuff is... Weird. It's weird to what me. Is wild. I don't think we have anything confirmed that she's gonna play Dazzler in mm. a movie. It's all rumors. Yes. And up to this point, there have been like I think I've seen four or five different variant covers of mm-hmm. illustrators drawing Taylor Swift as Dazzler. And now there's a Taylor Swift comic out that's getting tons of covers. And it is wild that you don't need these people's permissions to have them yes. star, star in some sort of comic book. Um, that buyers are going bonkers for these things that are getting printed by the buttload. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think any way will hold like monetary value in no. the long haul. Um, it's just such a weird crossover of things it's also to me it seems like the taylor swift comic at least you hope is like (laughs) written for like little girls and is supposed to be like an inspiring story but it's it's just weird that you've got covers that are drawn for adults yeah to male gaze to collect on like um and and pay out the ass for as like exclusives and collectibles is just it's kind of bizarre for what it so, is. So so I did the same find thing out for a Travis Kelsey comic feels like it should yeah. be for like little kids and uh you know I'm already seeing like weird buzz on it just because they're kind of famous buzzworthy celebrities right now. The celebrity is on comic covers thing. It's just like that's one corner that baffles me of like why people go so nuts about Eminem on a comic book cover or. Jay-Z well, that one was on authorized, though. Cover. Yeah, still authorized or not. Yeah, it's just it's just weird that people go so gaga for those things. You wonder, are those comic book fans or are those fans of the artists who are just like, oh, cool, I have something new to buy. I think it's a, a a Venn diagram of all of the above. Okay. Because like, there will be Taylor Swift fans who want this comic. I don't know how they're gonna find out about it, but if they do, they might want it. Comic book fans, spec fans, the artist who drew it fans, 
and then just like uh, inquisitive people that don't know what it is, but maybe just pick it up on a lark, yeah. you know? Right. And like it, it technically falls under the uh, category of unauthorized biography. Yes. So that's how they can kind of squeak by legally with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who this is for because it doesn't make sense spec wise, because even if you draw her as Dazzler or Deadpool, that's not that doesn't mean anything. Like if she shows up in the movie, yeah, like that 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 suddenly doesn't spike the price of the book. Like oh, first cover appearance of you know Taylor Swift is Dazzler. It's just like who fucking cares? Like that's not a real thing. I I do think there's the sentiment that like oh my gosh, if it happens, these books are gonna raise in value colossally. And I'm sorry, Jack. Here I am telling you that I think <laughs> you wasted that, your money. That these will never be more valuable than the week you're purchasing them. Yep. I think the buzz is all in the anticipation. And that happens all the time with um buzzworthy comics and sales and announcements that um characters are going to be in movies mm-hmm. that we think Okay, now this is going to be put more into the pop culture zeitgeist and more right. people are going to be familiar with and know who this character is, which is going to elevate a character like King Shark to mm-hmm. Poison Ivy status because he's in a movie now. Yeah. And we're finding that they're putting so many, so many, so many superheroes in movies that those they're, they're, those characters just aren't becoming the big pop culture icons that um, are making these books like rise colossally in in value. I mean, they're going up and they go up in value and it's more of a fun thing now to say, Hey, I've got the first appearance of King shark, which used to be like a $4 book. It is probably now like a $5 book book, or who knows what it is, but um, there were, you know, don't pay $200 for, a slabbed copy of one of these things is all I'm trying to say. I would say the only way, the only way that the Taylor Swift Dazzler thing will make you money or makes the most sense is if it is on a Marvel cover that we're like, Taylor Swift knows about it and signs off on it that she gets to be depicted as Dazzler. And it's like, you know how uh, like the world's finest had like um, uh, 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 like the Jerry Seinfeld cover or like the the mm. Paul McCartney thing. Like if you do it like that, then yeah, that's the first appearance of Taylor Swift as Dazzler on a Marvel comic. Okay, the fir- da- uh, Taylor Swift drawn as Dazzler on like you know pig knuckle comics isn't like a thing. It's not gonna make you money. Like it only makes sense if it appears on Marvel Comics. Yeah. Full stop into discussion. Well yeah, there's those comics of like AOC and like a scantily yes. clad oh superhero God. outfit, and it's like, what are we doing here? It's rough. It is That's... rough out there, folks. <laughs> it's just the dumbest shit getting printed. You know what what ends up being worth um a decent amount of money, like several years later, are those um, movie promo covers 
Oh that yeah. Have like Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark on the cover. Yes. Or this, you know, an issue of Spider Man that has a variant with Andrew Garfield as Spider Man on the cover. Mm-hmm. People tend to like get nostalgic about those things and want them when at the time those books just look like corny Trash. promotional garbage. But after time the movies are loved and and then people get nostalgic for those things and then the comic the, the prices of those go up. So Yeah. Um I think you're right. I think if it is a Marvel thing on a major title and is a little more like sanctioned, not some weird independent publisher doing a trashy comic book um as yeah. a cash grab, then it's a little more of like a fun thing to have. Because let's be honest, it doesn't matter what is inside these books. It's oh, the yeah, cover. It's all the cover. Right? It's it's the cover. Same with like the w- weird Winnie the Pooh Tigger stuff. Yeah. Where they're dressed as like Marvel characters. They're, those could be filled with blank pages. Doesn't <laughs> It doesn't fucking matter. It could be like a journal. <laughs> like it, it's it, that's all cover spec stuff. I'm also say, and I think this maybe is an unpopular take. I am so not here for the like horror versions of these like sweet loved characters that have fallen into the public domain like oh right like steamboat willie yeah like steamboat willie's having a horror movie now and there was a winnie the pooh horror movie yeah. and it's like can't winnie the pooh just be a nice sweet cute thing like does it have do you like as soon as you get a chance to do something with it do you have to do the most awful thing you can think of no, like, I think that's like just the human condition, man. I just fucking hate that. I mean, you think about all the things that you like love and cherish and hold a special place in your heart and like how important Calvin and Hobbes is to people. Mm-hmm. But it's like someday Calvin and Hobbes is going to enter the public domain. And you know what? Someone's going to make a freaky porno horror movie out of it that completely violates the spirit of the thing. Yeah. It's like I just hate it. And yeah. I know a lot of people like it, but I don't. That's just me. I don't. I don't know if it's like a like thing or just like a, a perverse fashion fascination of like, a, a like people think it's like a, a dissection of the character and like a new new outlet. And it's just like no, nah, it's just trash. It's like it's not good or 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 you know in the spirit of the character. So like, don't try to like gussy it up in any way. Okay, I think. You make a good point because I looked up uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which was the name of this stupid horror movie they made. Mm -hmm. Uh, Guess how much it grossed uh, worldwide. We're not just going to say a a release in America. How much did it make in its worldwide release? Uh, $10 million. Cut that in half. Five mil. Five million. How much did it cost to make? A hundred thousand dollars. Oh, then those guys were sprinting to the bank. Yeah, they they raked it in for what this thing cost. <laughs> they but could they couldn't make another movie for the rest of their life and be fine. So yeah, someone's just gonna keep doing this shit because like if you can cash a five million or you know, 
$4.9 million check based on mm-hmm. your gross earnings of this thing, mm-hmm. then yeah, yeah, people are just going to go after it and make really shitty movies that people will just see from the shock value of the movie poster or the trailer. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think that low of a number kind of shows you that it is more of a news story than it is people actually interested in it. That's a lot less money than I thought that thing made based on how much I heard about it. So that's good. I've got more belief in people, I guess, that not Mm -hmm. a lot of us took time out of our precious day to see. I never saw it. Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Okay, let's get to our comic books. Yes. We've filled up a half an hour talking about comic news, whining and dining you with the latest of what's what's going on and the conversations yeah. hopping and popping in your comic shop. Now, next week, when you go into your comic shop, you can say, hey, well, you know, what, what about that new Supergirl? What do you guys think? Uh, mm. We've armed you with the ability <laughs> with to fit right in. Yeah. Hey, of course, generate your own takes. You don't mm-hmm. have to have the same opinions as us. Yeah. Say, hey, I heard the guys over at First Issue Club, great comic book podcast, talking about this. What do you guys think? <laughs> Put our name out there. Sure. Yeah. You're on the street team. I'm officially uh, knighting <laughs> you. Knighting you. <laughs> as a, as a uh, street team First Issue Club member. So Hell feel, yeah. feel as long as you're, you know, not a bigot or a shithead, feel emboldened to throw our name out there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Bigots and shitheads, no need to apply. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, let's talk comics. Um, do you want to talk... Moon Man? Kid, could Cuddy Moon Man first? Because I think maybe that's yes. the biggest... Or like one of the more talked about books this week. Yeah, so Kid Cuddy and Kyle Higgins had a new book out called Moon Man. Can we talk about... Ima- so Kyle Higgins... Image Comics. We'll mention is famous massive for verse. the massive verse which has books like radiant black he mm-hmm. used to work on those power rangers books mm-hmm. and radiant black is kind of like his independent comics version of power rangers right like a more adult version of power rangers yeah i think i i, I think he experienced a lot of success with his power ranger stuff but of course all that money Went to Power Ranger stuff. You know what I mean? And so he was like, well, if I can be this good, but in my own Power Ranger universe, then Kyle Higgins gets the money. Yeah. And so that's where the Radiant Black stuff came from. However... Ain't ain't that the story with all modern comic creators? Moon Man is um, allegedly, as rumor has it, going to be set in the massive verse eventually. Oh, I, I did not know that. It is an interpretation or loosely based on the story that is told throughout Kid Cudi's discography about Moon Boy and his adventures. The story is about a team of astronauts who is trying to get to the moon, uh, funded by a billionaire, There is an incident that happens, and for seven minutes, they are gone. They lose radio contact. The people on the ship don't know what happened for those seven minutes. 
but they like that's the big mystery of the book what happened in those seven minutes mm. and so they get back home to earth they go through all their tests and stuff to make sure that they're not sick or have any kind of weird diseases and then you know they're they're kind of released back into the world like and they are getting you know popularity in book offers because they're they're kind of infamous now for having this kind of historically failed mission where where they don't know what happened there's a big mystery around it yeah but the titular character kind of tries to um reconnect with his younger brother um and it's set in Cleveland so they're out there in Cleveland in in this family house and um you know it's it's difficult for them to reconnect because the older brother basically went off to go into space and left his little brother behind and and they lost that kind of familial connection and there's there there's that internal struggle there for them to to force a reconnection which i think is is very relatable to people that maybe go off to college and leave their little brother behind or you know, siblings that grow apart. So that that part of the story was kind of cool to yeah. see play out. I'll say this already sounds like ten times more of a like personal, intimate story than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, same Moon Man to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah, it's it's very cool. And then um, there is like a commentary on kind of like a there's like an Elon Musk character oh. who who funds the trip. To the the failed mission to the moon, um, because his son is one of the astronauts, um, and there is a lot of pushback from the public to this billionaire character because he's kind of uh, you know a a billionaire, and billionaires are typically just evil people who are concerned about getting money. So that's how he's (laughs) portrayed in the comic book, Uh. and uh, the main characters brother is participating in one of the protests and the brother goes to try to save him and these weird powers start activating in the brother because uh, like fueled by like an emotion and that's where we're kind of getting this peek into what's happening to these astronauts they may have developed or got special powers and we're going to find out as the series goes on uh, the art in this was fucking wild. It was so good. Okay, it cool. was, it was, it w- it flowed wonderfully. But there are splash pages and in single pages that like just ignore every rule about paneling and gutters in the best way possible. And it's just really fun to look at in this. It reminds you of like old milestone uh, static shock issues of um, comic books. Yeah. And it's, it's, just, it's just very, very fun and very, very cool and very, very kid cutty. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not Ray Shremmer, Shadow Man. It's not, you know. Yeah, that book was bad. Uh, it's not Starboy or anything like that. This is mm-hmm. definitely. This is definitely like a creator who understands the comic book medium. And I don't know yeah. if that's purely Kid Cudi's love of the, uh, 
medium or if that's Kyle Higgins helping decipher Kid Cuddy's like uh, ramblings into a cohesive comic book story, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Kid Cuddy does stand out to me as a musician who's a little more in touch with the like artistry and storytelling, mm-hmm. especially, especially kind of being in like R&B, hip hop genre. Like it is very like heavy on the feelings and emotions and some like abstract storytelling, very moody uh, stuff. So I could, I can see him like coming to the table with like, if, I mean, if you're doing a concept album, yeah, you're probably the guy who can like tell a decent tell the story yarn. or yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, uh, it's a it's a limited series, and whether or not its involvement in the massive verse is substantial is yet to be seen. But um, I'm actually pretty optimistic about this book and pretty excited about where it's gonna go. Mostly because it isn't some like uninspired quasi like comic book idea that someone who's not in like the know thinks what comic book should be. Mm. It's actually like a, a really interesting story told in comic books. So it's not like hyper violent or it's not hyper, uh, like heady or really like um, referential to its, to the comic book medium where it's just like becomes kind of trite and you're just like, this is like so stupid and far removed from what comic book readers want from a comic book. Like someone understood the assignment with this. And and I think it's a perfect marriage between Kid Cudi and Kyle Higgins, to be honest. Yeah, that's great to hear. I will say, like, I do hate when you have a celebrity writing a comic book Mm -hmm. and it's like you can tell that there's this thing that commonly happens wherein someone says, hey, I want it to be clear this is for adults. And so it is just like unnecessarily violent with over the top language that just like does not seem natural just to speak down to the readers and say like, this grown is ups, raw grown-ups right and it's raw and it's yeah. like yeah you don't need to like throw that in people's faces so much like yeah and sometimes these people will come in with the, like a specific scene they want done in the comic like the stories are relevant but there's just like i want this one scene where like this the characters just like in the rain and they finally figure it out and they have like this big moment and it's just like okay but what's leading up to that and what's the purpose of this big scene? You just want like a fun splash page? Then like get it commissioned from an artist. Like don't horn yourself into like a publisher and be like, hey, I want to do a comic book, but only for this one thing I want to see in a comic. Because then it just seems disingenuine. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're saying like cramming it all into one issue and not earning the moments. Or just cramming random moments that you identified with random things thinking it's an interesting story when really it's just kind of hot garbage. Oh no. But that book is not this. So go pick up moon man. It's very good. All right. That's great to hear. Yeah. Right on. 
Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about Jill and the Killers, which is out on Oni. Mm-hmm. Uh, props to you, Oni, for releasing a big double-sized first issue here, um, which is something I feel like I don't see from them mm-hmm. very often, but it really left a, a, a great impact for this story being told here. Uh, this is definitely YA. Um, oh, okay. I, you know, I have fun with YA stuff. <laughs> easy to read. I'll admit it. Yeah, easy to read. Um, like nostalgic uh, popcorn for your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're like me, you could pick it up. If you're a younger adult or you like other YA stuff, you can pick it up. I thought it was really cool. This book is written by Olivia Cortero Briggs, a Controversial figure from First Issue Club's past, way, way back. You may remember a certain book that I loved and that our one-time co-host, Caitlin, also loved. Mm-hmm. But an old member of the Budget King and Greg Lichtig had a little bit of a problem with. Oh, which was boy. Mary Shelley. Oh, fuck. Her. God damn it. I thought that comic was <laughs> phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the author has another great comic on her hands. Yeah. This one was like really cool. Right. Um, okay, so yeah, that was just a fun thing for <laughs> First Issue Club fans. FIC history. <laughs> that have been around for a long time. You'll probably remember that we like really got into it that episode about like, period pieces and and doing things with like historical figures and stuff like that and right um i don't know i really liked that comic um, and to be fair i probably should revisit that series and, and see if i feel the same i gave so we only covered the first issue right yes I, I i think i bought the rest of the series for caitlin and gave it to her for her birthday yeah so, and you drew a picture on the first one. Oh, that's right so the first one has a silhouette of Frankenstein kind of like in, in the, the snow. It's Frankenstein's monster, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, in the snow or in the sky. And I I cut like filled it in with a character and wrote yeah. happy birthday on it and, and gave her the rest of the issues. Yeah. So I threw it should, away. Yeah. Oh no. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, you've enough preface for this comic. Um the story goes um, we, we follow this character, Jill, and she's introduced as this high school student whose mom has disappeared. She hasn't been to high school for a while because of that, and she's wanting to go back. But in going back to high school, she's kind of having a hard time readjusting. Her friends have kind of moved on to new things and different interests, and she's like, oh, shit, like, it all got away from me And during this, like, super traumatic thing when I really need these people in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, she finds out that her friends are big into like murder podcasts and they're trying to keep that from her because they're like, is this sort of violent stuff triggering for you because your mom is missing? Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to kind of keep her out of it, which is just worse for her. So some great like setup and teen angsty stuff and high school drama that you love to see in YA stuff as it is. Right. In any case, here we're getting to the crux of the story here. Uh, our, Does she start her own podcast? 
our lead Jill says, okay, I'm going to buy this um, murder mystery game that's like a subscription box sort of thing. Yeah, I've done like one of those. Get my friends like back into this mm-hmm. and, and hang out with me and all that stuff. And there's this one where they like make the game specific to you. So you write in some stuff about yourself. So Box shows up at the house and it's got all these like case files and things in it. And the kids open it up and they do their murder mystery board and go and research the stuff. And there's like fun things that it's like paralleling with their high school is written into it and and all this stuff. And so they're trying to solve this crime. The next day. The game comes. So we realize that. Oh, no. The first box was actually supposed to go to our lead, Jill's mother, who is missing, who uh-huh. it turns out was a detective. Oh. And so they were working an actual murder mystery in the town okay. without knowing. And now they've kind of discovered, oh, shit, we already have leads on this, and we thought it was a fun game. And now we're in the midst of like solving this like actual murder mystery. I that, love that. That somehow is tied to her missing mother. And you know how I said that's a, like it's a double issue? Mm-hmm. This is like the halfway point of the issue. So you have a whole other comic worth of story and world building and character introduction. Mm-hmm. Fantastic comic book. And I think like in the spirit of First Issue Club as like, we're trying to give you cool, fun books to onboard into mm-hmm. that uh, are accessible and make comic books less intimidating of a hobby to like find your way in. Mm-hmm. This is a great, fun story that I think is easy to read because it's YA and it's not doing like crazy shit with paneling that makes it kind of hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's YA, it's just like fun. So this is like a big recommend from me. It's like $6.99, which is kind of a higher price point for a comic book. That's not Uh, bad, though. When you think about it, it's like really the size of two comic books without any ads. So like they're already big, long comic books as it is. Mm -hmm. Like huge recommend. Jill and the Killers on Oni Oni Press. Got to pick that one up, I think. Yeah, that sounds great. Big time. I love where it went in the second issue too. Okay. Or like not second issue, but the second, second half. Part, second yeah. half of the first issue was was really cool. So I'm I'm leaving a lot out intentionally. Just supposed to give you a tease here if you're gonna read it. I don't want to spoil the whole thing. Uh did you have did you want to talk about the Black History Month book? Yeah, so I read the the DC Power book that came out um to celebrate Black History Month. Uh Marvel and DC both kind of do this uh every february and it um highlights uh poc creators and characters on both publishers and it's normally an anthology series um of different stories highlighting different characters this one um is no different it highlights uh like characters from far sector it um it uh, does superman and a bunch of other characters in the DC universe. And I, I rarely ever say this, but every story in the book was a heater. <laughs> like everyone was so 
so good and fun and the 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 difference in art in each story was was so refreshing and like i don't remember a time in an anthology where i got such diverse art each story that kind of like really led you through the book and like wanted you to encourage you to keep like flipping the pages and, and, and exploring the book. So um, it's kind of, it's, it's difficult to go into each story individually without bogging you down and like making this yeah. episode two hours long. Uh, you, you just have to go check it out. It's so, so good. A lot of amazing creators on this book. Uh, John Ridley is, does an amazing story in the middle of it. Um, so yeah, go check it out. It, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I'll say I think there is a bit of like sometimes there's a stigma about these anthology books because they do cost more money typically. And a lot of times they're just like fun little side stories that don't necessarily like have major repercussions and bigger storylines. So mm -hmm. a lot of people skip them um, because they are looked as like adjunct or bonus in addition to optional reading. Right. Um, but however, things like DC Power and all of the Marvel Pride books mm -hmm. that they do and Marvel Voices um, are comic books where you're featuring underrepresented creators and be and underrepresented voices in comics. Yeah. And because of that, these creators are fucking bringing it. Yeah. Right. Because they're getting a chance to do these things. Like you said, we've got people like John Ridley who are writing like comics all the time and are like famous names. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's important that these people are the voices on these comics. But one I th to me, one of the coolest things about it is all these people who haven't had opportunities uh, coming to the table and, and getting these opportunities in these books. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, Holy, holy shit, like, yeah. this person fucking brought it. And it's it's cool to see, like, next generation talent. And, yeah. And I mean, the, the, these books really are... have their voices heard. Yeah, absolutely. They, they really are just, like, showcases of new and maybe not so new talent that people need to be exposed to because they're, they're these raw and up-and-coming creators that are just like waiting for the opportunity to be in a Marvel book or be in a DC book. And Mike D you're, you're absolutely right. Like they just bring fucking flames to these books of like, this is the talent I have. Like you think I'm good in this, you know, showcase series, put me on fucking Spider-Man, put me on fucking like Batman, like then see what I can cook up. And I, I love them because it is like, just like a mixtape of talent uh, that you get to be exposed to. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so cool. Yep. And we've like, we, we, we've said this before, but you've, we've got 60 years of the old white guys experience being translated yeah. into comic book forms. Right. So <laughs> when you get these different voices, it's like so fresh and yeah. Um, it's very refreshing. Cool. Yeah, totally. All right, um, last one I'll cover, and I'll try to do it quick, is Dead X-Men. And we, we did kind of tease that, like, maybe this is, we're going to find out a little bit about where X-Men's going to go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this book, extremely inaccessible. So, <laughs> don't, like, this is a tie-in. It's like a four-part tie-in oh. um, to this like larger X-Men universe thing mm-hmm. that is happening with the repercussions and fallout of Fall of X. So, again, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how I had a lot of fun wrapping up a lot of the story arcs that have been finishing over the last month or so with all my X books. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, the phalanx is a big part of it. And the sinisters achieving dominion and Orbis Stellaris and, you know, Moira <laughs> clones and alternate timelines and lifelines of, of Moira. And it's just like, you know, unless you've been reading every single one of these X books, you're just going to like, roll your eyes at this stuff so that being said a lot and a lot of that stuff happens in this book it's like a continuation of all that heady high fantasy but in marvel comics side of type of a uh, type of shit um let me try to give you like the cliff notes version that is just like maybe fun to follow along with mm-hmm. uh as someone who's just like interested maybe in, in what's going on in x-men if you're not reading all the books yeah. So um, we've got like a special ops kind of team of mutants that were specifically resurrected by um, Ascani, which is like Rachel Summers name, mm-hmm. uh, mutant name. Uh, and she's made this like specific task force to go find Moira, a Moira that's still alive. And these X-Men are bopping through these different sinister universes. Oh, cool. To, or what's left of them anyway, um, with Rachel Summers kind of acting as this conduit that's like pushing them into alternate timelines um, in order to try to track down uh, Moira. And this team is made up of Frenzy, Jubilee, Prodigy, Dazzler, and Cannonball. And so it's like a really weird, fun mix of characters. And Prodigy's mostly there because his power is to like soak in the knowledge of those around him. He's not necessarily like a normal telepath. Mm-hmm. See, already as I'm talking through this, I'm like, this is not the easy Cliff Notes version, right? It's just like <laughs> impossible to do this. Um, but he can get close to Moira without her having her guard up for like telepaths that he's just like, he's going to get close to her and unexpectedly her mind is going to imprint on his. And Charles is going to be able to use that to map all these lives of all the Moiras with the hopes of them sending Charles or some of the X team back to get in the way of, uh, what en- whatever ended up happening with House and Powers, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, can we find a point early enough for Moira where we either change her trajectory in her life or maybe we kill her before her mutant powers manifest? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about like killing a child Moira, Moira at that point. A baby Moira? A baby Moira. <laughs> um, the really fun thing that happens in this is that the Moira that's left over that they find in one of these universes Mm -hmm. has assembled a weapon that they're calling weapon M 
and it is mostly built out of the corpses of different mutants. <laughs> so it's got all these pieces and powers and things that are going to enable her to jump back in time around her own timeline herself. So the X so she's like wear it as like a backpack or something? No, it's like a big axe. But it's made with like you know some dead Wolverine adamantium and some of Omega Red Whoa. and you know she's got the black hole powers of I'm trying to think of that kind of horse looking mutant in any case horse cobbled, cobbled together mutant powers and she's she finds kind of like the last piece to like power this thing mm-hmm. in like one of the last panels of of dead x-men one uh so x-men have her and are going to be able to jump around the timeline to find the right point in time to get to moira before all this stuff happens and then this moira is also going to be able to go back in time to find herself to relive those things um to change her own future so we're going to have some battling there so holy shit again really really fun if mm-hmm. you're all kept up on X-Men, if you're not, you're just going to be like, what the fuck am I reading? <laughs> uh, kind of like how I was when I read The Resurrection of Magneto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I think if you're not reading any of this stuff right now, like try to do this thing where you're just like listening to podcasts where they're giving you like the cliff notes and just try to have fun with like yeah. the news about like yeah what's going on and less so like don't you know maybe don't waste your money on the comics yeah the, the hearing be... about it is better than the reading it yeah right because i i think without knowing this stuff if you read dead x-men you know you you wouldn't have been able to give like an inch of a synopsis you would just been like what the hell did i just <laughs> yeah. read yeah no that's awesome still waiting for the collected edition to tackle hickman's x-men stuff because uh we Got away from me quick. Yeah, I mean, that'll be like 14 Omnis. <laughs> like, that'll never happen. It's just like way too much. I'm ready. My body is ready. <laughs> I think, you know, you could potentially put together like Claremont era Omnis, at mm-hmm. least for like un- his uncanny, like, uh, you know, a couple hundred issues of Uncanny. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some like separate tie-in books to like read Excalibur and some things like that that were going on or tying in or new mutants that were happening at the same time, which were, you know, themselves like a hundred issues that like spun out once he left. Yeah. Uh, but the, the Hickman, what we're calling now the Hickman era of X-Men just had too much, you know, ten, like dozens of, of titles and, Way too much stuff to ever co- like really, really collect. Yeah. Ugh. Bummer. Well, guess I'll never know about it. Yeah, I mean, you could try on. Um, I, I guess I could do. Yeah, Marvel Unlimited. You could do it on Unlimited, but working to get working out like the timeline of like when to read. Like, oh, I just read X Men number one, so I'm gonna X Men Volume Six number one. So now I've got to hop to. Excalibur volume four, number 25, and then X Corp number three, like sussing out that reading order 
now sounds like a complete nightmare. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it it would like in real time. This when did House and Powers come out? Do you remember? I'll look it up real quick. Two thousand seventeen, sixteen. It's been longer than we think. I I, I fear. Uh, twenty nineteen. Really, twenty nineteen. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense because we went to C2E2 and it was still fresh and that was right before COVID premiered. uh, uh, They just announced Swords of X or Mm -hmm. Ten of Swords or whatever they were calling it, X of Swords. Um, So yeah, I I think even if you're doing it on Limited, on Unlimited, I still think it would take like five years. Damn. It's, It's five years worth of weekly comic books. Yeah, holy shit. I didn't realize that. <laughs> so best of luck if you want to go on that journey. But I yeah. say, you know, read the uh, synopsis somewhere and move yeah. on with your life. Stay tuned to First Issue Club <laughs> five years from now where I finally finish reading it. Finally finish it and you can give your own uh, review. Yeah. Of yeah. And it'll one. be, uh, it was good, I guess. It was it's all right. Kinda, yeah. It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I've invested like thousands of dollars in five years of my life into these things, and I'm still just like, it was kind of hard to follow. Still, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> it was fine. I wish I had my money back. Ridiculous. <laughs> All right, that's a, that's another episode of the first issue club. You're gonna get the details in our outro, but just to reinforce them. We've got a Patreon if you want to get some more First Issue Club goodness. Oh, Greg's got something to interrupt me with? No, I'll count you off. You were counting me off. We've got a Patreon that you can join us on for about a bonus episode every week. We've got videos on on YouTube. Um, So watch us over there for for free. For free. You You can watch the video version of this. And then... We're also on all the social medias. We've got a fun TikTok with uh, fun clips oh, from the yeah. show and, and stuff like that. So um, you can interact with Greg on all that good stuff. We've got a Discord you can join to and chat with us about comics. It's a fun fun community on there and yeah, um, yada yada yada. And it's it, it is really fun to hear from you from you guys about comic books that you're reading or or stuff that you liked from the week. So. Please don't be shy. Join the join the Discord. Join us on Twitter. We do have a free section of the Patreon too. So, like Mike D said, patreon.com slash first issue club. Head on over there. Check it out. And let's go, Chiefs. Chiefs. Fight. First Issue Club is edited and produced by Mike DeStacy, Greg Licktig, and Andy Vargas. Follow us on social media at First Issue Club. And check out our Patreon for videos, audio, and more at patreon.com slash first issue club. <laughs>